hear these words from our God. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down to it and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it up in its place and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this. Fix it in your mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Let me ask you tonight, Christian, are you sure, really sure, are you sure that the Lord our God is like no other? Are you so sure that you will hold him up above all else in your life such that he and no other person, no thing, no habit, no hope, no disappointment is above him in your life? Are you so confident that you'll not only exalt him but before the Lord your God you will take your life, all of your life and you'll bow it before him? Are you so confident in the Lord your God that you'll say to him, I submit the lot to you, bowed low before your feet, my life, my fears, my career hopes, all of it before your feet, my job, my relationships, my sex life before your feet. My hurts, my rights, my right to be angry about past wrongs before your feet. My finances, my family, you name it, all of it before you. Are you sure? Are you so confident that he is worth all that as you lift him high and you bow yourself low that that you do it with joy and with great relief? Well, tonight uh, we come in this series in the Psalms to a Psalm, Psalm 99, sung by those with confident joy about such things. And the whole purpose of this Psalm, Psalm 99, that we're looking at together tonight is to sweep you up in its tune. The whole purpose for this Psalm being written and spoken to us tonight is calling you to be confident and joyful in the Lord your God. And if we're going to understand that tonight together, why this song is so full of confident joy, why we are meant to sing along, then you need to realise that there is a story, a great story behind this song. This song is in fact a soundtrack. It's a soundtrack to the story about our world, the story about your God and about you. And if you were to capture that whole story as it unfolds throughout history in three words... They would be the words that begin our psalm tonight, Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. The foundational reality that shapes all history is this, the Lord reigns. Ultimately his goodness, the goodness of our Lord will win over evil. Ultimately the justice of our God will overcome injustice. The Lord reigns. That's the theme of all history. And yet you may look at our world and wonder sometimes, but behind it all is this confident and joyful reality, the Lord our God reigns. And so come with me and hear this song inspired by that story. If you haven't got it open, it's page 603. 
And we're going to see in this song, which has three parts, three wonderful reasons to have this confident joy in your Lord. So uh, page 603, and also just inside the service sheets, if this will be helpful to you as an outline of where we're going as we look at the three parts of this song. The first part we're looking at is in verses 1 to 3. And the, the first part of this song simply sets before us this reality that we've just been thinking about, that the Lord reigns. But even saying uh, this simple three-word declaration has huge implications for us. Uh, Let me mention three that come out of these first three verses. The first is this, the Lord reigns is a joyful confession. It's no bland, inconsequential statement. It's not like I had porridge for breakfast, it's going to rain tomorrow and the Lord reigns. No, this is a shout for joy. Now, the preacher Charles Spurgeon called these words the most joyful utterance which ever leapt from mortal lip. The Lord reigns. And what a joyful thing to hear. And when you look upon our world racked with intractable problems, with violence, with so many dark days that seem to grow ever darker, the Lord reigns. He is still on his throne. And what a joyful thing to hear when life, not just at the global level but at the personal level, falls apart. When it starts to unravel, the Lord reigns. He is enthroned. He is not losing hold of the times of your life. He reigns. And what a crucial thing to confess with your lips that the Lord reigns. It is the theme of the whole story of our world. Without that confession on your lips, without that realisation in your heart, you cannot claim in any sense to have grasped the reality of this world. Without that confession, you have missed the point, the whole point of life. You can go through life and excel academically. You can conquer the world of sport or the world of business. You can be well regarded, you can be kind, you can be happily married, you can have healthy children, you can live to a ripe old age, you can have a great retirement with a holiday home and totally blow life. Miss the point entirely if you have not come to the joyful realisation that the Lord reigns. It's a joyful confession and secondly, in verse 1, it is an awesome confession. Do you see it there in the first verse? He sits enthroned between the cherubim. I don't know whether you know much about cherubim. I've got to be honest, they've not been a big field of study for me, but I'll tell you what they're not. They're not, as they're often depicted in art, sort of chubby, cute babies. That's usually the picture of cherubim firing little love arrows around. No, they are awesome, huge, heavenly beings. In the temple in Jerusalem, there were two enormous carved replicas of them, not even the real thing, but just a replica of them. And they overlaid them with gold and these things were five metres high and then they had their wings at full extension, covering the Ark of the Covenant and filling the entire room. It's kind of like parking two jumbo jets in here tonight. That's the sort of size we're talking about. But it's not just their size that is awesome. When the Bible describes actual cherubim, not just the replica, not just the the wood carvings, they are breathtaking. Listen to this description from Psalm 18. They're described there as God's mode of transport as he flies to rescue his people. Listen to this. 
He mounted the cherubim and he flew and he soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark clouds filled with rain. Out of the brightness of his presence, the clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. He flew on the cherubim. The Lord thundered from the cherubim. His enemies heard this. He shot his arrows and he scattered his enemies and with great bolts of lightning from the cherubim, he routed them. It's not quite the cute, baby, chubby picture, is it? It's not so much jumbo jets, really, is it? It's more like fighter planes, sort of stealth bombers without the stealth. Well, there's this description in Ezekiel. Now the cherubim were standing over the south side of the temple and above them the glory of the Lord rose and at the sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard far away. Every time they moved their wings it was like the voice of the Lord Almighty when he speaks. They are awesome creatures. And between them sits the Lord on his throne. Such is his majesty, such is his rule, that even these majestic creatures are just his footstool. The Lord reigns. It's a joyful confession, it's an awesome confession. And thirdly, from this first verse, it is a public confession. The second half of each line of verse 1 shows you the result of this Lord's reign. Let the nations tremble. Let the earth shake. And uh, while our Bibles translate that as if it was an invitation, you know, as if a sort of a royal visit was coming, uh, the king of all the earth is coming, I wonder if you'd mind terribly trembling and shaking as he passes by. He'd love that. No, this is not an invitation. This is inevitable. The nations will tremble. The earth will shake. All nations, the whole earth, Have you noticed how the Bible doesn't subscribe to the view that religion is a private, subjective thing? It's personal, isn't it? Well, not here. The Lord reigns. If he is enthroned between the cherubim, all peoples must recognise that reality. That the Lord reigns is not some sort of niche subject for gatherings like this one tonight. No, this is the news of the hour and every hour our world will have. And verse 2 makes this clear. I mean, you could think of verse 1 in isolation almost as some sort of general religious statement that you'd expect a sort of a religious figure to make, you know, like a pope visiting the UK. The Lord reigns. Whatever you make of uh, God, whatever you might think of him, he reigns. Well, verse 2 clarifies things. The Lord who reigns is the one who is great in Zion, in Jerusalem. The Lord who reigns over all the nations, the whole earth, is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's the God who chose Israel to be his special people, the God who established King David as their great king and told him that from his line there will be a king who will reign forever. The Lord who reigns is not some choose-your-own-adventure God. He is the one who reigns in Zion. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who is great in Zion is, verse 2, exalted over all the nations. There's nothing private here. There's nothing subjective here. He reigns over all England, over all of China, over all of Turkey, over Iraq, over India, you name it, he reigns. And the right response? 
Well, you see it there in verse 3. Let them praise your great and awesome name. And the word praise here, it, it, it essentially means to acknowledge, to admit. It's what all people ought to do and will do. The great and awesome name of the Lord will be acknowledged by all peoples, gladly and joyfully now or otherwise later. It's like Stuart Townend says in his song, Jesus is Lord, it will either be a shout of joy or a cry of anguish, but the Lord reigns. And so here in the first part of our psalm, as it comes to an end, what, what is going to be a refrain all the way through that song is declared, holy is he. There's none other who reigns. There's no other God like our God. He is holy, utterly unique. The Lord alone reigns. And as we go on in our song, we're going to see just how he reigns. The first part of that you see in verses 4 and 5, this Lord reigns with justice. The more you explore the scriptures, the more you learn about how this king reigns, the more your joy should grow. In the Psalms leading up to the one we're looking at tonight, there's description after description of just how he rules. And here in verse 4, we're given another. And it's so good. Literally, the first line of verse 4 should read like this, The might of the king loves justice. Now let that sink in for a moment. The might of this Lord who is enthroned as he is between the cherubim, so powerful. Well, all that might is directed towards justice. He loves it. It's his passion. And we're not used to that. We're used to power being used in all kinds of ways, but not this. The might of the Lord loves justice. He loves what is right. What good news that is. And so often in our world, the mighty exert their power in cruel ways. And so often it is the powerful who wrong the weak. In our world, whole nations are held in the grip of poverty by corrupt, cruel governments and tyrants. Nations held in the grip of violence and fear because of cruel power. Human history is a story of power craved, power gained and then power abused. And even in the more respectable countries, countries like the UK and where I come from, Australia, even those in power here cannot be described, as we see here in verse 4, as loving justice. Surely there's always mixed motives. Surely they love power as much as they love justice. And all too often it is justice that gives way to power. And some here will know that even on a personal scale. There will be some here who have experienced uh, those in authority over them, whether it be in the workplace or whether it be in your family, those who have been over you who have used power cruelly. And tragically, as that power is abused, sometimes the damage is massive and lifelong. But the might of the Lord who reigns loves justice. But there's something even better than that. The might of the Lord not only loves justice, do you see it there again in verse 4? He actually does justice. 
There's some in our world who do love justice. I hope there are many here tonight who love justice, who see wrongs and long to see them righted, but either can't or don't. But the Lord our God does justice. Verse 4, in Jacob you have done what is right and just. And remember, if you've been here in recent weeks, these psalms that we're looking at here are a part of a section of psalms looking back to the time of Moses. And so this psalm in verse 4 is calling us back to the ultimate example of how God does justice, how he took his people Israel who were under oppression in Egypt, under Pharaoh, crying out for justice they were, and he heard that cry. The Lord who reigns delivered them from that oppression. He did justice. He did righteousness. He put things right. And the history of Israel, the history of this people, is a history of God putting things right. The Lord reigns. He reigns with justice. And once more, verse 5, there's only one right response. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Exalt your Lord. Say to him, you are my king. I want you to reign. Because in a world like ours, we need you to bring justice. And so I exalt you. Before all people, above all else, you are king. And worship the Lord. Literally bow low before him. Submit to him. Submit knowing that we need justice, but it is beyond us knowing that we're not wise enough or strong enough or good enough to bring it about. And so we bow and we say to the king, do justice, you alone can do justice. But as we get to the end of the second part of this song, there's a problem, is there not? If the Lord loves justice, now why does it always seem so slow in coming? And if he loves justice, if all his mighty power, this awesome power of our Lord is aimed at bringing absolute justice, not just in Jacob but in all the earth, where does that leave a man like me? Where does that leave a person like you? Because frankly, I am no innocent man. None of us are, are we? Each one of us, even just in this area of power, whatever little power we we have at our disposal, each one of us uses it in cruel ways and selfish ways. Before the Lord we stand guilty. What hope does a guilty man have before a judge who loves justice? Who's not indifferent to it, who's not blind to it, but loves it, absolutely loves it. And you are guilty. What hope for you? Well, none. Except this, except where our song goes next. The Lord reigns. He reigns with justice and he reigns with mercy. Verses 6 to 9 basically say to us, look back over Jacob's history, look back over Israel, which is the other name for Jacob. What's it been like to experience the reign of this king? Well, there's been justice, yes, but something just as strong. And he gives us three marked examples of it, three uh, great ones from Israel's history that are mentioned here in verse 6. 
what is it they have in common? We see it there at the end of verse 6. They are those who called upon the Lord and he answered them. And it's not just referring here to some sort of general prayers that they offered and a general answer from God. Now Moses is the one who when the people of Israel had disobeyed God at Mount Sinai as he was giving them his law, they were busy down the bottom of the mountain building a golden calf and worshipping it. It was Moses who up the top of the mountain pleaded with the Lord not to come down with his people on with just justice, with his judgement, but to be merciful. And the Lord who is mighty loves mercy and so he responded and he did mercy. That's what it's been like for this people to experience the reign of this Lord. And then there's Aaron, the priest, who, who was responsible again and again for offering sacrifices, sacrifices that God himself had provided to be offered on behalf of the people for their forgiveness. Aaron would call upon the Lord for mercy and the Lord would answer him. That's what it's like to experience the reign of this Lord. And thirdly, Samuel was the one who said to Israel when they sinned against God by saying, we don't want you as king, we want a king like the nations. Well, Samuel said to them, far be it from me to sin against God by failing to pray for your forgiveness. And the Lord answered him. The Lord reigns with justice. It's at the heart of his rule, but right there at the heart as well sits mercy. There's actually been hints of it all the way through this psalm that he rules this way. Scan your eyes back up to verse 4. Do you see it there? In Jacob you have done what is just and right. Hang on a minute. In Jacob? Remember Jacob? He's a scoundrel. In Australia we'd call him a ratbag. He is morally dubious at best. And the family he produced, the family of Israel and their descendants were likewise far from innocent. In Jacob, in Israel, you have done what is just and right. But if the Lord only reigned with justice, then what is right is that Jacob would have been judged along with Egypt. When Israel were were fleeing Egypt and, and crossing over the sea, they too would have been swept over by the waters. But the Lord who reigns with justice reigns with mercy too. And then there's the ultimate hint that was right back there in verse 1. Do you see it? The Lord is enthroned between the cherubim. You go back in the scriptures to see those awesome cherubim in in the temple and they were placed on top of the ark and we're told this about them. They stood there between and facing a seat. That was their job all day long to face this seat. The Lord's seat, his throne. Do you know what they named that seat? The mercy seat. It was the place where God met with his people, the place where forgiveness was given. Do you see it? All this awesome power, enthroned as he is between the cherubim, flying to his people's rescue. See what all that might is directed towards? It is directed towards mercy, forgiveness, Grace, that's how our Lord rules. Well, may we shake. And so in knowing this, the psalmist says in verse 8, Lord, looking back, seeing Moses, seeing Aaron, seeing Samuel, you answered them. And the implied plea, answer us as well. You forgave them, forgive us. 
Now here's the thing. Here's where this psalm touches down for us, why this is your song too. The king this psalm exalts, the king this psalm calls on you to worship is your king. His name is Jesus. And just as we finish, I want to show you a, a glimpse of just how much Jesus is at the heart of this song. And so uh, if you've got your outline there, turn over the back of the outline and you'll see three passages I want to show you quickly, show you how this is a song about your king. Firstly, in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 11, which we read as our creed earlier, you place them alongside verses 1 and 3 and, and you'll see this. You'll see you've heard this song before. God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and he has given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then place alongside verses 4 and 5 of our psalm, Romans 3, 25 and 26. This is a song about your king whom God presented as a sacrifice of atonement for the forgiveness of sins on his death on the cross. He did it, why? To demonstrate his justice so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now listen again to verses 4 and 5. The might of the king loves justice. You have established equity in, well, in me. You have done what is right. And then finally this, Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. Place that alongside verses 6 to 8. Jesus is able to save completely those who have come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so verse 8, Our Lord and God, you answered Moses and Aaron and Samuel. You were to them a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Well, in Jesus, do it again. You who love justice, who loves mercy, hear us, forgive us. And as for the punishment of our misdeeds, well, our confident joy is much greater than those who first sung this song. For tonight, as we share in the Lord's Supper, as we will in a moment, we know that even those have been taken upon our Lord. Even those have been met with mercy. Our Lord and King who sits enthroned between the cherubim on his mercy seat, our crucified King and Saviour reigns. And so to whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Let's pray together.